All right. Chip and Captain Brunch are back. Coming to you from the South Florida swamps. It's not that. Actually, it is pretty human. <laughs> now that I think about it. This is your host, Chimp. And I'm Captain Brunch. How y'all doing? All right. Let me fix his mic real quick. He gonna, he gonna fix his mic. His mic's all out of position. Yeah, man. The humidity is... Oh, my God. It went away for a week, and then it's back. It's like... Almost in December, I'm still sweating my ass off. Do we ever stop sweating our ass off? Yeah, fuck yeah. So what's going on? Oh, you know, all kinds of things. I've been, uh, you know, not unlike you, I've been organizing my space, although for different reasons. And it's pretty damn tiring, you know, that's for sure. It's uh, emotionally tiring. It's intellectually tiring. Yeah, I love finding like old receipts. I found a receipt today from 2015. <laughs> I'm like, why did I still have this? Oh, I found a lot of old stuff. Don't get me started. Not <laughs> like, a lot of old stuff. Like I got this one like little drawing I did when I was studying organic chemistry a long time. Like this is like 10 years ago. And I just had this one picture from this book that I got that was like not the official textbook. It was some free textbook I got online. And I saw I was just starting to take notes and I drew like the orbitals of, you know, I, I don't remember which it was like carbon or something. And, and then that's as far as I got. And <laughs> so I, I ripped the page out and I have this one page from like over 10 years ago of this one note I did. Oh uh, God. I did not get past chemistry too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did not finish organic chemistry. Um, but you know, I tried. You got to one day I didn't and try that was very it? hard. <laughs> did you get past the first day? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, there's a lot of stuff you have to memorize though. You know, it's one of those classes where, you know, you're not allowed to like come in to the test with like a list of notes or something, you know, like you can't, you can't reference anything. You have to go in there and like prove that you've memorized all of these relevant details. So given your uh, choice of career now, do you wish you like had that organic chemistry of knowledge? I mean, it would be really cool if I, I still, I still want to learn it actually. Um, although in my industry, I guess inorganic chemistry is more, more important, like corrosion, True. stuff like that. Um, organic chemistry does have a relevance though. Cause like, let's say in, in ships, the hulls, they're affected by the growth of, you know, sea life. People paint them with, um, what they'll call like a bottom paint or, um, anti what is it, anti-fouling paint so it's essentially it's got usually it's like copper or some other kind of like toxic metal that's toxic to to these things and they just can't grow on it <laughs> so you know i mean you know it would, i would not mind knowing more there's period. nothing like killing some sea life right oh don't get me started <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started on that whole thing because you know i'm very i'm, I'm very uh concerned about that kind of a thing i so i uh i recently bought a set of moleskine notebooks you ever you ever heard of these notebooks some people call them moleskin i guess yes but. yeah i was gonna say moleskin <laughs> but there's like an e at the end so i feel like that's not anyways i got this little Guinea? set they're, you know they're, they're, they're so cute and they're like they're just a well-designed little notebook and so i dedicated one of them <laughs> i dedicated one of them to to what i call a progress a project progress notebook. 
And so it's like where I just like kind of micromanage my life and like write all the things that I, I'm trying to accomplish. And then I just keep writing them over and over again until I finally do them. So for instance, uh, I have not, I have not fixed the uh, old screen on my uh, <laughs> my Pixel 3a XL that I think I bought from you. You were still trying to do that when you were at the old place. Uh, I don't know if... No, no, no. Yeah. This, is a, this is like the next one after. Well, like, this is not... It's true, but I had already fixed it, and then I broke it again. Oh, okay. And so this is me having to fix it again. Um, and so, like, one of the things that was putting me off was that I put all this stuff, like, in the area where I had set up to fix things. And so I had to first kind of organize my room a little bit. And so I feel like I got, like, 60, 70% of the way of where I needed to get. I mean, not where I needed to get, but, like, of organizing my room. And that's as far as I needed to get to, like, open the space up. So even though I haven't fixed my phone yet, theoretically, I could do that, you know, at any moment now, finally. And then the other thing I got to mention to put it out in the universe, to shame myself and to push myself to accomplish it is um, I got to clean my boots, my work boots. They're like really dirty. And so I bought like this little cleaning kit. So I got to clean them up. And then I also bought this stuff called tough toe. <laughs> and basically it's like this goo. Do your feet stink? No, it's not. It's for your shoes, right? So like I work in a shipyard and I'm, my feet are constantly hitting things. I'm kicking things. I'm moving things with my feet. And so I spent a lot of money on these shoes. It's like, oh, I think it was like maybe it was 300 or $400 on these work boots. Uh, and there are, and, and pretty quickly I started getting all these scuffs and cuts. <laughs> and the big problem is like on the toe area because that's where most of the stuff happens. So this thing, tough toe is like a product that you apply to the toe of the shoe and it, it puts like this goop on it that dries up and, and, and creates sort of like this nice little, you know, like So it's on the protection. inside. Protect no, it goes on the outside. Oh, on the outside, okay. Yeah, and and, uh, and so the idea is like my, my work boots, they do have like a steel toe or some sort of composite toe. It's really hard. And uh, I, I have seen on some other people in the shipyard, like who have these kinds of shoes, if they, it, you know, if they're old, like you could just see the steel, right? Like the, the, the whole toe is just completely like destroyed from all the different things that have happened to the shoe. And so like, I don't want my shoes to get to that point. I spent so much money on them. <laughs> so, you know, I bought this like other like $30 product that I can apply to the shoes. And so, you know, when I've done that, which I'll probably do this week because I'm shaming myself into doing it by talking about it for so long on this podcast. I will, um, I'll, I'll show a picture of my nice, uh, my, my, my boots with these like new kind of black toe thing. I'm gonna so put exciting. Up. I can't wait. <laughs> wanted to make sure the stream was working because this thing yeah, is showing right? weird. We, we, we don't Worker always though. check, right? And then <laughs> sometimes it's not check. working. <laughs> anyway, please um, don't forget to join us on Podverse or CurioCaster. Perhaps soon enough fountains. I hear they're going to start doing lit soon. Yeah, I really hope they, they get that implemented soon. Because um, fountain seems to be the most popular one. And it, it would be really cool to get Oscar Mary on the show. We should like interview him. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll be like, yo, Oscar Mary, come on my show. Have you, have you ever heard of Noster? Ever. It's like I've, in the last three weeks, have you heard of Noster? <laughs> no. So this is like this new um, messaging protocol that's becoming popular amongst certain devs in the Bitcoin community. And it was actually just, it was, I guess, founded by a dev called Fiat Jaff. 
And the way it works is there are two types of, I guess, you've got clients and you've got relays. The clients is like a user, you or I, and you send messages, right? You could send them to another person or you could send them to like, you know, there's a lot of different who's you can send it to or how you send it or whatever. But then the relay is where the messages get stored until they get sent, I guess, to whoever they're supposed to go to. So the idea is that the clients, they will register with a certain number of relays. And so the client, whenever the client is running, you could run it like, let's say as an application, you could run it in your browser. It could be a web app. And so when it's running, it would then connect to the relays to find and send messages, right? So send the messages that you want to send and to get the messages from the people that you're either following or who specifically sent messages to you. Um, there's a, if I understand it correctly, it's a decentralized, it's a distributed, like it's, it's free open source software. It's like all the, the, like the gooey, wonderful stuff that. Is that much different from matrix though? It kind of sounds similar. Okay. That's what I'm trying to figure out at this point. Like I'm trying to figure out the extent to which it's different from matrix. So, um, I don't, you don't, I don't understand how the clients work. I, I, I mean, how the relays, and so this is what, you know, I feel like the relay kind of is what is functioning as a server, except I guess with matrix, like you run an instance of matrix. Right. You run an instance or you could join an instance. Exactly. Just like Mastodon or whatever. Whereas like Noster is not a chat room. If I understand, it's not a chat room. It's a messaging Right. And it's uh, censorship resistant because of the whole like relay thing. You know, like if if a relay blocks you, you can register with other relays. And so it's and then you could run your own relay. So if, if, if people were blocking you, you could then run your own relay and then you could send your relay address to all your friends. Um, so you don't need to you don't you don't need a, a server, if I understand correctly, like you could run it on your windows computer. So this is, I think what makes it different from matrix. You don't need a server. You could run it on your computer. Yeah, I know. Right. What exactly does that mean? Um, I don't know that you can run like, I don't know. I mean, I guess matrix you'd have to, you could download a matrix client. Yeah. I don't know. Either way. I mean, sounds interesting. There is something different. I'll find someone who understands the difference and then I'll get them to explain it to me. Then I'll explain it to I'm you. I'm definitely excited for you to get your, your embassy champ. pro. So, Oh my God. I'm so excited. I mean, they're not shipping till next month, but next month is next week. So let's well, see you what have happens a month to learn some coding. So you could run a bunch of servers. I know. Oh, well, since you mentioned that, I mean, that, that jumps me way ahead on my notes. Um, so the transition, I've got like kind of an update on the transition. Um, so, you know, I, I think I had been... Well, real quick, for those who haven't um, caught the, <laughs> our last episodes, okay. Captain Brunch over here has been transitioning from Windows. Windows to Linux. And among other things, you know, like there's been the question of what's, you know, what am I going to do with all my files? How am I going to save my bookmarks, uh, etc. So uh, I've answered most of those questions for myself at this point. Um but the big question that I had not answered that I've kind of come to a, a decision on as of today, in fact, is that I'm going to install Ubuntu Linux on my desktop. So I'm going to run Ubuntu. I was thinking maybe Mint, but I don't know. They said like Ubuntu is a little more hardcore. Um, it's like 
more different than windows mint is like more like windows and i kind of want to let me try something different right let me try something like a different uh, paradigm of of you know well i hope you don't crash and burn well, if I do, if I do, it doesn't matter. I've got so many devices, <laughs> you know, that if like, if my desktop doesn't work for a while, that's okay. Like I was playing Victoria three on the la- on the laptop that I used, you know, to do this. I saw you uninstalled it. I did. <laughs> I did. I mean, but I'm, I'm mentioning about before I uninstalled Cause it. Cause I could have sworn yesterday, um, your discord said playing some game. <laughs> what was I playing yesterday? Crusader Kings. <laughs> I was playing that on my desktop. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, and um, let me see. I was playing as uh, a Norman. What was the guy's name? Robert um, Ely. Robert the Fox. Oh, nice. I like that name. And he was a Norman who was who he was invited. Him and his um, Norman mercenaries were invited to Italy to like fight on behalf of various cities. And there was some point in time where various cities that had contracts with him and his people actually reneged on the contract and, and decided not to pay, but they didn't realize they were dealing with like Vikings. So they were like, okay, you don't have to pay. We'll just take your cities. Out come the throwing axes. (laughs) And you know, and so he started like this guy, Robert started a dynasty that lasted for, you know, however long, like not very long, but it started like the kingdom of Sicily. And then they invaded, um, uh, some African country. I can't remember which one, uh, not Libya. The, the the other one that had the, the one that started the Arab spring, which one was that one? Tunisia. 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 Yeah. So like he invaded Tunisia, you know, all these crazy stuff. Oh yeah. Go for the smallest one. <laughs> um, well, since you mentioned tech, um, I recently just picked up a pixel seven. So I hope to have that next week. And wait, so did you trade in your phone? Yeah, they're going to send a box. Okay. And so, oh, that's cool. Okay. So, I mean, you, you were kind of a little ambiguous about it earlier. <laughs> if they're actually going to give me 300 bucks, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. I've done the whole trading thing a couple of times and the most I've ever gotten is like 200 bucks. I think the last time they told me it would be like 120. So it's really interesting that they're shooting up to $300. Is that like indication of their, their, their supply chain woes or? Maybe it's also just like, maybe they think they can sell it and pump it out before Christmas. Maybe, or maybe they're just, because, you know, they always put the stipulation, well, this is the estimated trade price. Uh, Then there'll be the final appraised price. So you could very easily shoot down to a hundred bucks. I'm hoping not. Oh man. Right. So you, you, right. Cause they haven't seen the device yet. So this is like an estimate. Well, it's the two questions they always ask. Uh, Are there any cracks on your screen and does it turn on? Yes. And yes. (laughs) So next week I'll be factory resetting and then getting, a new version of Graphene OS. So since... But I, real quick though, what's interesting though um, with this Pixel 7 is apparently it can only run 64-bit apps. So I might be limited in what apps I could put, like open source apps that are like, they're, they're running um, 32-bit. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, I don't understand about that stuff. So you'll have to let me know more about that as you go along. And since we mentioned video games earlier, I did have it on my list and this, again, another thing that was, I was going to mention later in the show, but, um, you know, I've been, I, I think I've mentioned recently, I've been playing like different kinds of games over the last, like maybe like year and a half, two years at almost at this point, because no, the last year, because the, the, 
in 2021, I didn't play any games. I remember I made, I, I made a whole point about this. And I remember that I'm like, when I started playing video games again in January, I was like, holy shit, I haven't played a video game in a year because I was so dedicated and so focused on trying to like learn about marine engineering and how to like fix things and how things work. I was really, really focused for that year. <laughs> not so much this year. Gone. <laughs> well, it's not gone. I still do a lot of spend a lot of time, you know, trying to learn. But so some, you know, I've played a lot of games that are really in, in almost to the point where I, I don't know if it's fair to call them games because they're sort of like stories that are being told through like game mechanics. So kind of like a linear story where you don't even have a choice, but you're just kind of moving the character. It's it's almost like the old kind of game. Like, like imagine Mario where it's a linear game and then there's only one way to get through it, so to speak. But instead of it being the game being like of skill, the game is just being of you getting through the plot. <laughs> um, right. There's, there's a lot of indie games in the last 10 years that are, are, are a lot like that, or it's more so like the journey, the, the plot going through, um, that reminds me of, of Greece, this one Spanish game. And there's another one I heard about yesterday. It's apparently a little bit older game, but it's, um, you sing. So huh. your character sings and it's always in, in, in tune and in the same key as, as, um, the level. Interesting. So there's no fighting none of that. It's, it's, oh, I guess you, you do fight, but it's all with singing. Well, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, and then I've also been playing, a few sort of like choose your own adventure games. Mm -hmm. So I think I had mentioned the, um, like the, the something, something of Sir Bronte. And then, uh, the, I don't remember what it was called now, but the one that I played recently was called suzerain. And in suzerain, like you are a, a partisan in like the controlling party of a country that is akin to, an Eastern European, like post Soviet country, but it's like fictitious. And throughout the game, like you rise to power, kind of getting rid of the, the guy who was currently president, who was a member of your party. And like your party sort of, I guess, founded the country and it had started like as a military dictatorship in a transition to a constitutional Republic. And you, you know, like you have to make all these kinds of decisions. It's story based though. Right. So it's like a lot of conversations. It's a lot of meetings. It's a lot of like reading reports and there's nothing like there are graphics, but it's not like a moving action game. It's a, you know, you, you're looking mostly at a map and when you're not looking at the map, you're looking at a text screen. Um, it was a really interesting game. So suzerain, you know, not, the, not a very expensive game. I, I lost the second election. So, <laughs> so like, I didn't even get to go very far with the character. The game is so fucked up. Like, you know, all the crap you think that's supposed to happen in, in politics, like the, the UN was, you know, although the, it was called something else, like the UN was trying to get their hands um, into, you know, they're uh, trying to get the country to join. I mean, no NATO, NATO is trying to get the country to join NATO to form like a defensive pact against what was the, the USSR. And you had like, China over there. And there's all these different, all the crap that was going on. Like your country was being, um, you had like an immigration problem. Um, very interesting game. So if you're into, if you're into like a, you know, uh, write your own story, alternate history. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then, I mean, I was playing, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I have trouble role playing. So I have trouble when I'm 
playing these games really letting loose with a character you know so again i tell you that the country was like a former military dictatorship so you can imagine like a very kind of conservative right-wing sort of situation but i'm i'm playing like a super liberal reformer and so everyone fucking hates me because they're like dude like you're so liberal like you're you're promoting women you're promoting rights like you're you're recognizing the the you know the immigrants like what the hell's wrong with you what is that like hard mode no, this is just the game, <laughs> you know, level. but like if I would have played like an asshole and if I would have been like killing the immigrants and I would have told the, like if I would have told my wife, like, shut up, bitch, like your role <laughs> is to cook food, you know, like the game would have, I would have gotten further in the game, but I didn't, you know, it's really fascinating. And it happened with the other game that I played too, like the, the life and times of Sir Bronte. Like I kept playing it like myself. Exactly. It's interesting. Like, are you trying to beat the game or are you trying to play it like yourself? <laughs> I know. And then that's interesting because in the sense of a, like a, you know, a write your own story, build your own adventure. I'm not used to the idea of, of like there being a goal. Right. And, and, but the idea when you're playing as a politician and you know that there's an election coming up, well, Obviously, if I want to keep playing the game, I got to win the election. If I don't win the election, they're like, okay, you lost the election. Now let's wrap this up. And then I wrapped it up and the game was over. Um, <laughs> I mean, so what you're trying to say is that you're a super liberal. <laughs> I'm not super liberal. <laughs> <laughs> so then would you compromise just to win the election and then... Um, no, because <laughs> it wouldn't even work, right? Because like it, it's so tough. Like So in the game, basically half my party backstabbed me because I was too liberal for them. So the progressive wing of my party supported me. Oh, okay. The, and then the progressive other parties also supported me, but like the conservative other parties didn't support me. And the conservative wing of my party, which was the, like the majority party did not support me. Well, so why would they? I know. Right. Why would, <laughs> of course, of course. And, and then I, I was trying to pass like a new constitution Cause there was like a movement to pass a con and then it failed miserably. It was just like, the, it was a lot of fun. I don't want to talk too much more about this. I just, I really had a great time playing this game. So if, if you're into that, if, if you don't mind reading, reading, because reading, you know, a lot of people younger than me don't like to read. No, <laughs> unless it's manga. I'm not reading. Fuck that. Um, and also, you know, comics, I, I'm going to start reading comics again pretty soon because I've been getting into it since I've been watching the cartoonist kayfabe YouTube channel. Nice. Yeah, that's for sure. Speaking of reading, um, have you heard of uh, Joseph Campbell? Uh, mythology, right? Right. Uh, the, um, the Hero Cycle. Yeah. He, he wrote this book, A Hero of a Thousand Faces. Well, I recently found some, some interview he, he did with uh, one Bill Moyers. Uh -huh. It was some famous interview from like the late 80s. Have you seen it? No, but I mean, I know Bill Moyers. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, so apparently now it's on YouTube. So I, I was watching, it's like six hours. It's like six different interviews over time. I watched the first one. It was, it was pretty good. And I clipped a couple of things. I, I don't really want to talk about the hero cycle, but just a couple of things that, <laughs> um, that Joseph Campbell was saying that I found really interesting. So I'm going to pull up the first clip. And um, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, allusion to Star Wars. Because George Lucas basically said he took directly from yeah. the, 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 the hero cycle. But here he's just describing the end of the cycle where, um, where basically I, I guess the, the, the hero is, is, is fighting the opposite of themselves. Um, but he, he mentions... Anti-hero? Yeah, in, in a way. Um, but 
how dragons in in Western culture tend to symbolize greed and lust. And anytime you have a hero fighting a dragon in, in those cultures, you know, because usually the, the dragon is is um, is guarding women or money and things like that. Yeah. And so I'm just going to set it up to, to where the, the clip starts. And then there are two or three results. One, the hero is cut to pieces and descends into the abyss in fragments to be resurrected. Or he may kill the dragon power as Siegfried does when he kills the dragon. But then he tastes the dragon blood. That's say he has to assimilate that power. And when Siegfried has killed the dragon and tasted the blood, he hears the song of nature. He has transcended his humanity, you know, and re-associated uh, uh, himself with the powers of nature, which are the powers of our, of our life, from which our mind removes us. You see, this thing up here, this consciousness thinks it's running the shop. It's a secondary organ. And I love the idea how um, um, how it's um, you're in a way returning to nature, and um, and he'll describe it more, but 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 basically becoming more in tune with um, I don't want to say the natural order of things, but. Uh, let's um, let's go to the second. Well, clip. I just I do want to say though sure. it's kind of interesting. I, I think about you know because he mentioned Siegfried this is from the Nibelungenlied, um, or the song of the Nibelungs, and I also but I thought specifically of Beowulf, and when when you said you know going back to nature, and I I'm pretty sure that like he has to go out and find Grendel. Right, right. That's the um, uh, that's the whole hero cycle. It's it's a call to adventure. They go to um, somewhere that a lot of people haven't been, or a lot of humans. Mm -hmm. And then there's always some going. Uh, he calls it the belly of the beast, like going either into like water or crossing some sort of Rubicon into this unconscious world. And all these challenges, people that you meet, you know, the, the goddesses or just helpers or whatever. And then eventually um, the, the, the hero has to kind of confront their, like you were saying, their anti-hero or um, if, if it's more um, Hegelian, like the thesis, anti-thesis. But what I love is the synthesis part mm -hmm. is where, you know, even though you're defeating the dragon, you're kind of assimilating with the dragon. And that's what he kind of expands on here in the next clip. It's a secondary organ of a, of a total human being, and it must not put itself in control. It must submit and serve the humanity of the body. Join me, and I will complete your training. When it does put <laughs> itself in control, you get this father, the man who's gone over to the intellectual side. I'll never join you if you only knew. So what he's talking about is, is the brain is um, uh, how we often um, think consciousness comes from the brain. And yeah, it's in a way it, it, he, he argues that it directs consciousness, but really it's our entire being that is conscious and the brain is just part of it. Yeah, it's an emergent property, right? right? Like that's, I mean, that's what I've always said. And I think that we oftentimes try to categorize consciousness as like this ghost in ghost in the machine mm -hmm. whereas it's like a, a million ghosts in the machine <laughs> and then he uh, he's gonna go into it in the, in the next uh, with the rest of the clip but basically how you have to listen to your body to your heart to your soul whatever you want to call it in order to 
uh, I guess obtained well, a Nirvana or anything. Tell us. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what he says. The power of the dark side. He isn't thinking in our living in terms of humanity. He's living in terms of a system. And this is the threat to our lives. We all face it. We all operate in our society in relation to a system. Now, is the system going to eat you up and re relieve you of your humanity? Or are you going to be able to use the system to human purposes? And to me, that just makes me think of like COVID, <laughs> honestly. Just... It makes me think of so many things. A ton of different things. But the most recent one is really just, you know, some people completely fought it, but other people had to assimilate in order to um, move forward or. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I, I, I mentioned previously about getting the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. And so to me that that was trying to, you know, like use it in the context of, I knew that it would be helpful for me for traveling. And so I did travel. It did. It was useful for me in the specific context that I expected it to be. But in all other senses, I was completely opposed to it. You know, I didn't want to get a vaccine. I didn't want to get, you know, tested several times, et cetera. But, um, but I, I also didn't want to get rejected from participating in various activities. In society, so like I did, yeah. you know, I weighed the cost benefit analysis. So to me, it was like to be able to have the experiences that I wanted to have, like being able to travel in such a crazy time, I knew I would have to participate in the fucking system. Right. Um, whereas I think most people, they just get eaten up. Yep. You know, I, I mean, I, I think some people probably, you know, like I, I'm sort of waiting like, okay, when is this ticking time bomb going to go off and I'm going to become like, you know, a part of this genocide supposedly that, that so many people are so paranoid about. Or even beyond the vaccine, just in general, just being eaten up by the fear, constant fear of germs or, you know, one person coughing next to you. Like I, I was just at Walmart this morning with my mom and someone coughed next to her and she suddenly takes out her mask and puts it on. Ah, she likes size. <laughs> it's like, Oh my gosh. You think she got it in time? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, are you serious? It's like, ugh, it's so funny, but, but it makes them feel better. And so right. what are you supposed to do? Like, are we supposed to judge them? I mean, you know, like we know it's, it's kind of silly or superfluous, but it makes them feel better. So it doesn't hurt anybody. Of right? course. Yeah. No, it's just, it's funny. Yeah. It's silly. It's, it, well, let's, let's finish off clip three. It's a little, a little longer. Would the hero with a thousand faces help us to answer that question? That being the, um, Joseph Campbell's book. Would the hero with a thousand faces help us to answer that question about how to change the system so that we are not serving it? I think it's funny how, um, how, Bill Moyers refers to changing the system rather than assimilating with it when Joseph Cantor didn't mention that at all. I don't think it would help you to change the system, but it would help you to live in the system as a human being. By doing what? Well, like Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Listen to a damn over, thing he said. Resisting, it's... Right, his, his first thought was, okay, so, um, you know, we don't want to live with the system, so what, like, how do we destroy it, you know? <laughs> well, when Campbell's like, okay, well, you have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, and I think the thing about changing the system, and this is a critique I use, I, I use it against systems like the Catholic Church, 
it's the fact that that they're constantly changing is evidence of how pointless they were to begin with. If, if they were right to begin with, they wouldn't need to change, but it's because they're not right. And then they're just, they're just changing to, to keep people within the constraints of the system, you know? And, and so it's like keeping people dis, disenfranchised from their humanity by constantly changing things. I suppose, I mean, I, I, I can see what you're saying, but at the same time, like things like religion and churches, it's more of a, of a community thing. So they for who? do have to change for, yeah, but, but for their members, it, it, it's like, if you are the leader of a, a community, you, you might not consciously be saying, okay, I am going to change the fundamental rules of our belief system because this is what's going to keep us relevant, or this is what's going to increase our membership. They may not consciously think that, but if, but if that's like the underlying modus operandi of their behavior, you know, it doesn't matter what the hell they actually think their behavior is, is betraying their true values. Like their true value is that, you know, their community, which over which they have power depends on their being able to maintain some sort of social control on people. Right. And, and nobody wants to be in a, in a drinking club alone. So <laughs> it's that sense of, of community with people who I guess identify um, for lack of a better word of, with these same values. And those values change, obviously like l- look at Jews, uh, younger Jews now are very different from Jews 50 years ago, you know, or anyone, right? Like even Christians, yeah, <laughs> look like, at Christians, look at like in Brazil, look at Christians 50 years ago, they were almost all Catholic. And now there's like 30% or more evangelical. And what's that one with the, with the dove? It's uh, universal, universal church. Oh yeah. My that's, that's my mom's church. <laughs> Obsessed with that shit. Oh, let's not talk about that. All right. Let's just finish <laughs> off a clip. God. It's uh, impersonal claims. But I can hear someone out there in the audience saying, well, that's all well and good for the imagination of a George Lucas or for the scholarship of a Joseph Campbell, mm-hmm. but that doesn't, isn't what happens in my life. You bet it does. If the person doesn't listen to the demands of his own spiritual and, and heart life and uh, insists on a certain program, you're going to have a schizophrenic crack up. The person has put himself off center. He has aligned himself with a programmatic life, and it's not the one the body's uh, interested in at all. And the world's full of people who have, uh, who have stopped listening to themselves. In, in my own life, I've had many opportunities to commit myself to a system. And to me, it's just, to me, that just spoke to me so much because yeah, me too. Wow, it's very profound. <laughs> it really, really is, and it's like, like I've realized certain things in my life, and I've made decisions, and people always question me on decisions. I'm like, nope, <laughs> this is right for me. And you know, it's interesting <laughs> because when I think about it, like in the context of let's say Star Wars and the character of Luke Skywalker or any of the characters, it's an interesting point of view to think of it not so much as these people were fighting against a system and trying to change it. But that oftentimes, especially let's say with Luke Skywalker, that it's a story about him learning to be human, you know, like as, as he was saying, as the the author was saying, Joseph Campbell, that like, instead of being this schizophrenic person, who's like so fixated on attaching themselves and, and fitting within a system, it's about like learning to be human 
within the system. And then that will in and of itself change the system. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's, it's, he I basically says that. <laughs> Here we go. And to go with it and to obey its uh, requirements. My life has been that of a maverick. Uh, I would not submit. You really believe that the creative spirit ranges on its own out there beyond the boundaries? Yeah, I do. Something of the hero in that. I don't mean to suggest that you see yourself as a hero. No, I don't, but I see myself as a maverick. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps the hero lurks in each one of us when we don't know it. Well, yes. I mean, our life evokes our character, and you find out more about yourself as you go on. And it's very nice to be able to put yourself in situations that will evoke your higher nature rather than your lower. I guess that's later in the, in, the, in the interview, but he basically said, which you said that, um, yeah, it, you have to change yourself and then that's what's going to influence others. Yeah, I just think whether it's in these stories or whether in your own life, it's the idea that you have to make decisions. And, and as you were just saying earlier, sometimes you make decisions that it doesn't matter that it's going to cause people to think negatively of you or to question you because you know that you're making the decisions for the right reasons. And that's what has the biggest impact in the long run. Yep. Exactly. November 26, 2022. And I almost didn't come tonight. <laughs> uh, indeed. But I he was did. tired, but then I got like this boost of energy. Ooh, boost. Don't forget to boost. <laughs> uh, speaking of boosts, have we happened to have gotten any in the last seven days? No. <laughs> well, that's okay. Just kidding. Actually, um, our buddy SBF uh, via Podverse. Sam Bankman-Fried. Okay, what, what's what, what's Sam Bankman-Fried do? He say? sent over 1337 street, uh, sats, uh, lead sats, saying, sorry guys, running low on sats. Yeah, that's okay, SBF. Uh, you know, when you... Uh, well, actually, that's not okay because you stole billions of dollars. You should have plenty of money to give to us. This is, this is unacceptable. This is why no one likes you. <laughs> well, at least he's elite. <laughs> Sats. Yeah, so I kind of love the the numerology. I was watching this YouTube channel called Invictus, and he, it's like this. I don't, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was the sciency stuff, and he went to this organization. They basically, they're like a standards organization for ingredients, or for. So basically, you know, whenever you look at food and you go to like the 
the nutrition facts and all the, it says all the calories and the grams and all that stuff. Well, all of that stuff comes from this organization. Like they're the ones who are doing all the testing and creating the standardized whatever ingredients. And so I just, that in and of itself was like, like what? Okay. It's strange and bizarre like that. I mean, I can understand that it's somewhat impractical to expect every single company to do like the lab work necessary to give you the nutritional facts of what they're giving you. But at the same time, I also find it somewhat absurd that there would be one organization that should do it for everyone. Like, <laughs> I think in, in general, they estimate it. Well, you know, if, if it's an avocado, then it's going to have, you know. <laughs> All right. So let's listen to. <laughs> when I worked at Whole Foods, though, um, we would, would be inspected by people like that. It it was all done by one team, but you know, yeah, that's exactly what they're looking for. Let's listen to this one clip and let's see what, I don't remember exactly what the context was. Yes. Okay, so, you know, I think that was pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, in my keto journey, I've <laughs> gotten really intimate with, with those three macronutrients and reading those damn labels. And it sucks eating out when you don't get that label. <laughs> uh, and But even if you get the label, though, I mean, I think what it's I was... It's an estimate, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an estimate based on, like, the nearest ingredient. And then, so they apparently have a list of 1,300 ingredients... Oh, materials, not just ingredients. So he really, to me, hit, he hit the nail like right on the head with what he says at the end there. And to me, this is why I think it's absurd for one organization to be doing this for like, so not just for the United States, but like he said, half of the orders go overseas and they don't sell it to just anyone. They only sell it to people who are companies and organizations that are approved Mm. to buy them. You know, so this is like a, a, this is a racket. Like this is a protectionist racket and this, this is like so sad. Like the, you know, the free market anarchist in me just cries when he hears a story like this because you're telling me, okay, you've got this company that's 
that's mon- a monopoly in the United States government. They're doing $20 million in revenue and they're not sharing their data openly with the public. Like that's just bullshit. And so, you know, that was my whole, that was my whole thing with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm on their website trying to create an account. <laughs> Include your company name, sector and subsector. No, you're not going to get nothing. <laughs> you're not going to get nothing. If you're not, if you're not milking the right cow, you're not getting nothing. So, um, now I got a few, a few clips that have to do with Brazil. And, uh, you know, again, like, as I've mentioned before, I'm listening to these left-wing Brazilian podcasts and the one I'm, uh, I got today is a uh, Brazil unfiltered. It was two different episodes and this is from like a few years ago. So this is like early on in the Bolsonaro administration. And as I've done several times now on this show, I'm just trying to document like the bizarre, parallel universe that these liberals live in and the way that they talk about and categorize Brazil completely unreasonably. Um, anyway, so, um, let's, uh, but did you, did you want to say something? Nothing. Okay. So anyway, so, um, in this episode, let me see, this episode was called, uh, defending education in Bolsonaro's Brazil. And, I, I kind of wanted to highlight like a really weird conversation that they were having. And then there's a specific phrase in this conversation. I want to see if you notice it. Let's, uh, um, but I'm muted. So you can hold on. I got it. I got, uh-oh. Oh, So, um, I mean, I, I kind of agreed with that point he was making at the end, um, about the fact that a lot of these right wingers, they, they hide behind the idea of free speech to justify like their right to say controversial things. But there is something of a contradiction in the fact that they are arguing that if they came to power, they would use that power to restrict the speech of others. So I I definitely think that there's something interesting in that argument, but there was a phrase in there and I don't know if you caught it. You you didn't catch it because you would have perked up. So I want to, I took a a nice oath there. Let me see. Did did you hear that? The right Right wing wing international. international. Do, Do you know what that means? Okay, so I'm going to give you my best guess. The word international is a phrase used by communists to describe the way that communists organize internationally. So 
like they call it like the first international, the second international or whatever. Yeah. I've heard of that. So, so, so this guy is revealing his own, like, you know, um, uh, what is it called? Cultural Marxism, (laughs) you know, and and, and he probably wouldn't even deny it if you asked him about it. Right. But he's revealing it in his language because what a strange way to categorize like an international uh, resurgence of like right wing politics. This idea that that there's like an international um, organization or conspiracy you know, I, I don't know if that's true. Like, and if it was true, it certainly wouldn't be the case that Bolsonaro and Trump, as an example, are colluding. It would be that whoever's pulling their strings is 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 making things happen in both countries. Well, that's why Canadians post so much about Brazilian politics. <laughs> International. <laughs> oh man. So I got I got two more clips from another episode. Um this is uh, from, let me see, this is again, Brazil Unfiltered. This episode is called, Is Brazil's Democracy in Jeopardy? And you know, like, again, like what, what a stupid title, right? And like, again, they, they spent four years making the same arguments over and over and over again. That Like this guy who was an elected official in the Congress, became an elected president, but supposedly he was like the worst thing to happen to democracy in the world. So anyways, let's, let's hear what, uh, what they say in this episode. So I think one of the things, especially I wanted to highlight with these clips is the way that this host leads the discussion, asks these really loaded questions. And, and so let's, let's hear again. (laughs) Okay. So again, I mean, if you, if you listened to us last week or the week before, I definitely talked about this. I would, like Bolsonaro was polling, like all the, the big official, you know, government approved polls were saying that, that Bolsonaro was getting somewhere like 34 to 36% support in the election. And this guy actually got almost 50%. He got 49 point something percent of the vote. So again, where does this guy get off saying the drop in popular? So, so this is what the guy says in response and this is not his immediate response, but this is a part of his response. Again, so this is, and this is them talking like three and a half years ago. And so again, this 30, they're fixated. So even during the election, they somehow like these corrupt assholes were somehow able to get that 30% number more or less to stick.
I got a little distracted by the comment about stadium voice. Is is, it, is it, am I the stadium voice? I'm not too sure. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, what I, I wonder if it's like maybe it's um if it. Oh, That'd know, be an echo. The videos you play sound like in a stadium. Ooh, I wonder if it's like feeding back. Like if it's coming from here, going to the roadcaster too, then coming back to here. Maybe I didn't set up um like uh mix minus. I bet you that's what it is. Like click on the thing and, um, and then is that, is that the one? And then, um, output routing. This is Thanks the for letting us know, Uncle Dan. Okay. Yeah. I got to figure out how I can fix that. Um, oh man. And I got like, well, I only got one more clip though, but it's going to sound so bad. How do we, can, you think you can <laughs> Just fix send me it? the clip because it sounded fine when I was doing it. It sounded fine, when, but I don't have any way to send it to you right now. Jesus oh, Christ. I do. I do have a way. I've got it on this little data <laughs> stick right here and it's, it's. While it's, we do that, I'll a clip pop, that says four. <laughs> I'll pop on some music while we do that. <laughs> Needs more finger snap. I was trying to get in the groove. I was pretty drunk. I'll just say this is not my device. <laughs> if it was my device, the routing would be proper. <laughs> but thank you for your patience. So I'm sorry, you said number four? Yeah, so this is the this is the last um, clip okay. that I'm going to be playing for the show. Now, this is from Ancient Warfare. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Ancient Warfare podcast episode number 76. This is from 2018. And they were having a discussion about um, Augustus Caesar, um, Caesar's adopted son. And, um, but this isn't, this clip is not about that. So just go ahead and uh, he was talking about the end of a war and Augustus coming back from the end of the war. So go ahead and play the clip. And he uses it as a great victory in terms of politics as well, because he comes back and does the whole thing in Rome where he has the grand, you know, archaic ceremony of closing the doors of the Temple of Janus and, of course, announcing that there is worldwide peace. Well, and, and to, 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 underpin, to underpin that statement, and then again, the, the thing that kind of drove me with, with my research was our definition of peace is not the one that Augustus would recognize. So we tend to think of peace as being this sort of, a uh, world in which everybody gets along and there's a sort of calm and so on. For Augustus, peace only comes as a result of victories. And it, it, it's a fairly bleak, brutal way of looking at the world. I defeat you, you have to kneel at my feet, and you surrender to me totally, and this pact that we have, this is now peace. So it, it's a very different sort of one-sided view of, of the world, but he's able to show in northern, uh, northern Spain and other parts of the world later that through military action, he creates peace. So the first time I'd ever heard of something that's 
like the concept of the king's peace was actually from a Shakespeare play uh, in Shakespeare's histories. Um, you know, like at the end of all these wars, you know, someone, someone is the king. And then like, he's like, I declare the king's peace. And so this little exchange really stood out to me in this podcast because he's talking about this research he was doing about the meaning of peace to Augustus and how it, it was only peace if Augustus had won all the wars. It wasn't peace if there was no wars, like if the war just ended. No, it was peace of like if he won the war and if he has established a hegemony over his enemies, like a, you know, a dominance over his enemies. Pax Romana. Pax Romana. And it's also like the king's peace, right? So when the, when one family was able to win the war of the rings, I mean, the war, <laughs> the war of the roses, <laughs> excuse me. Wow. Yeah. The war of the roses. Um, you know, then they established the king's peace because they, they had subjugated their, you know, their enemies. And so this is a really interesting thing because I think this concept still exists today when it comes to the politicians, when the politicians are talking about peace, like, so for instance, the situation with Ukraine and Russia, you know, peace to the United States means that we subjugate Russia. (laughs) Like we're, we're, there's no way for us to be happy with Ukraine negotiating a peace with Russia. We're only going to be happy with Russia negotiating a, um, uh, what do you, what do you call it when you give up? (laughs) Um, but yeah, they they just want them to give up to us, you know, and to be our bitches. (laughs) Basically. Yeah, so that you know, that was my uh, king's piece. My king's piece. How long will it go on? Jesus Christ. (laughs) So um, I got a few. Let me see. Uh, You know, I did want to mention. Take this virus USB. (laughs) This virus USB. There's something that's been going on this weekend. I'm surprised that it didn't. It didn't seem to have a bigger impact on the situation in Brazil, and that is the Qatar 2022 World Cup. Mm -hmm. Um. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting. There's been a lot of sort of like social media hype about the World Cup because as it's in Qatar and Qatar is a fundamentalist Islamic nation, right? So there's like no women allowed in the stadium. Uh, you know, they're very strict about what you're like allowed to wear. So, you know, they've kicked out people wearing like uh gay pride flags on their shirts sweaty guys watching a bunch of other sweaty guys yeah which is it's funny right it's kind of ironic (laughs) um and then qatar itself is a a pro iranian regime change like they're they're anti-iran they're they want to change their regime and that's got to do with like sunni and shia kind of stuff um it was kind of interesting england when they played against the united states they took a knee apparently against USA racism, if I understood correctly, it was like, you know, it was like a reference back to what was happening a few years ago with the, um, the, you know, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. That's really funny. And I know Germany did something too, where they all covered their mouths. The whole team, um, oh, that, that had to do with the with the I think with the gay um, gay pride. That oh, we're not able to um, to to say or you know, say what we really want to say because we're being gagged by by FIFA. Yeah, uh, so I just—it's kind of interesting. What strange times we're in. It's—it's—it's it's really interesting that this exposes the fact that something like FIFA is just like a money-hungry, soulless beast, and there are no morals and there are no ethics. So, like, we'll go to medieval Qatar and 
you know, we're just, like you said, we're just going to have a bunch of sweaty men, like all pretending like they're in some sort of weird utopia while the women are hidden away. Who knows where? Um, yeah, yeah they know. really had to transform the, the, that country to the infrastructure to be able to uh, accommodate. Well, that's the story the size of the world cup. <laughs> it's just the story with every country that hosts the world cup. And it's, um, that's the whole thing that we could do, you know, cause what a corrupt bunch of crap. Like, you know, you, you take on a bunch of debt, you build all these stadiums that are like more or less not going to be used again, at least not to the potential to justify the, the expense that it took to, to create them. Um, yeah, there's the world cup. What a mess. I mean, I know in like Brazil, they did like when they did the world cup, they're still pissed off. I mean, that's one of the things that I think that, that got rid of Dilma Rousseff, you know, because, because of all, like a lot of the money that they went to go to build the stadiums for the world cup. Um, Whatever. That's a story for another day. I still like watching it. actually glenn on the guitar there i just I first thing first time i ever actually given away some music gear second time let me not say that i actually gave away an amp oh my god i'm just trying to downsize man because i have to move <laughs> soon and i don't want to carry so much shit oh gosh we collect so much crap especially when we live in the same place for a long time yeah i'm thinking just collect of, of, more of, and more of selling the mixer the old um, analog mixer uh-huh <laughs> so because uh, I know in 20 years I'm uh -huh. going to want to have it I'm like oh, <laughs> have it there but uh, we'll just buy it again then it won't exist <laughs> it, it will exist probably the same one that you just sold will exist you know it, it, it'll be vintage by then okay, so and it'll twice cost the price. you more but you know hopefully you'll have more money by then you know like maybe we'll, maybe we'll have six six listeners by then, and then we'll be able to afford it. Hell yeah! <laughs> boost, boost, boost! If you are not listening to us on a modern podcast app, what the hell's wrong with you? I mean, you would be more right if you went to newpodcastapps.com and downloaded one of those uh, new fangled podcast apps. But if you want to listen to us live, you got to get CurioCaster or Podverse. And those are the two apps that could do the lit. But you could also, of course, listen to the live stream. HTTP colon forward slash forward slash stream dot audio go stop Miami. Yeah. So soon enough, it'll be stream dot Saturday night lit dot com. <laughs> so, you know, don't hate me, but I got some headlines. Oh, boy. But, but I've only got five. I, I, I've, it's I've, only 933. I've decided <laughs> to restrict myself to you have five. To end the show with this. All no, right. I don't go, know what I'm going to end the show go. with at this point. It's hard to say. So th this is like a very Miami kind of headline. Miami Dade officer was in his marked police car when arrested on DUI charges, cops say. And then from the article, quote, what Hollywood police call the hit and run crash. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I guess some cop thought that he um, would get away with it. <laughs> 
No, hard to do that when you're in your car. Uh, when you're in your marked car. <laughs> I mean... It's the kind of stupid stuff, right? Like, <laughs> But, I mean, Miami-Dade police, not just Miami Beach police as well, they get away with a lot, so... <laughs> yeah, they do. I always remember that story of, like, the cop who was drunk on the ATV on the beach, and he, like, literally ran over people on the beach because I guess he was just so fucked up. Didn't know what he was doing. And uh, that led to... That and a few other events led to like the city manager at the time having to quit. <laughs> Ooh, can we rent an ATV for your birthday bash? Um, probably. It'd probably be more expensive to do that though. Um, which if you're listening to this and you can be in the South Florida area for December 31st, you should come to my uh, proof of work party, my, uh, my little beach get together. So, you know, hit me up and let me know. I'll give you the details. It's going to be December 31st, probably starting around 9 p.m. Um, a second headline, Bezos, this is Jeff Bezos of Amazon.com fame and fortune, gives Miami homeless agency $5 million amid tremendous new demands for housing. So, I mean, I don't know which part of this is more interesting. The fact that the homeless problem is so bad or the fact that it's so bad that Jeff Bezos had to give $5 million to some agency to like implement some sort of, uh, I don't know. Well, they just bought, uh, I'm sure we talked about this already. How, how, how they just bought, um, the old <sighs> words are gone. <laughs> the swap shop. It, it, um, in Sunrise. Yeah. In Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. In Sunrise. Who bought the old swap Amazon. shop? Yeah. But they didn't buy it to house homeless people. <laughs> they, they, they bought it to like put a big well, warehouse Well, you know, he's probably. trying to get his image up. So, you know, let me do oh, some, something right, nice. Right, right. So like, well, I gave $5 million to, to the years. homeless people, so you should like me. Yeah, and come work like for me. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're going to have drones, Amazon drones flying all over the place in like five years. In less than five years, probably. I mean, it's been approved in a few different places. And yeah, don't they have like um, prime delivery now in... Um, in downtown, I think the drone or no? I don't know. I think uh, so. Ooh man, like can they can they drop it off on your balcony? Why not? I, I don't mean, have a balcony, but if I lived in downtown, I would. And so that would be, you know, like I would not want to have to go downstairs. Keep stacking them sacks. <laughs> no, but I'm way too paranoid about. Okay, I don't want to trigger anyone, but I'm already triggered. I don't want to live in any high rise buildings. I am so paranoid about living in a high rise building after the Surfside building collapse. Like that building, I think was only 12 or 13 stories and all those people died. So, uh, it, I can only imagine how much worse it would be in a bigger building. Um, I think about it maybe for like five minutes whenever I go into one of those downtown high rises. Um, and then I stop thinking about it, but I just, you know, like Miami's so corrupt. Um, like we cut so many corners, Right when that happened, because uh, I used to live in an apartment building like 20 years ago. And right after that whole Surfside thing happened, the building I used to live in, the one next to it, immediately was like, okay, well, um, we're going to kick everyone out because this building may also <laughs> um, <laughs> not have passed certification and oh you guys gosh. need to all leave right now. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, so they they had been putting off, I think it was their 40 year certification and it was like for years. 
So that's a whole other thing. I mean, I, I shouldn't be that paranoid. I should, I should come to terms with the fact that modern engineering has put up thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of large structures that do not yeah. crumble. <laughs> like that bridge in FIU South. Oh my God. <laughs> and again, right? Like it just highlights the corruption and the corner cutting to save some money and some time. You're right. gonna you're gonna literally put people's lives. So for those who don't know, the, um, there how many years ago was that? There was a bridge that they were building over a huge uh, what is that? Eighth Street, it's, um, South Eighth Street or One O Seventh? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was going over One O Seventh. Anyway, it, it was a crosswalk from a huge. It was college. like crossing like a six or eight lane like busy right road. And, and so, you know, it was, it was supposed to be a pedestrian crosswalk to allow people to get from, you know, the university to, I don't know, whatever was on the other side. I don't know what it was, if it was housing or a a shopping mall or something. Um, but there was, you know, some kind of crack in the structure and the bridge collapsed. It fell on top of like five cars and several people died. And the company that did it is still getting contracts with Miami-Dade County. You know, and they it, like, okay, they had to pay out some money, but it's, it's just the, the, the continued bullshit. Like the idea that you could just pay out a bit of money probably comes out of your insurance policy and then you just keep going, making more money and you're making money off the public. It disgusts me. It disgusts me. <laughs> so uh, my third headline, oh, you want, you had something? That's how the world turns. Oh gosh. So Miami beach gives initial approval for major, major music festival starting in 2024. There's a bunch of like famous pop stars. Um, don't we already have that, that rolling fest, rolling green, whatever it's called. I don't even know. Rolling loud. Yeah. Rolling loud. That's what it is. And then we also have ultra ultra. Oh God. That's coming up. Soon. We also have, um, uh, there's like another one. There's several festivals, but this is like another one. This is being approved for Miami beach specifically, right? Cause ultra used to be on the beach. Then sink, it wasn't on the beach sink, anymore. Sink, <laughs> sink. Yeah. So, you know, um, I mean, I'm not really for it. it. These, these events are nuisances to the local communities. They are not a help. And like they do make a bunch of money for restaurants and for certain kinds of businesses like hotels, but overall they're just, they're just crappy to the people who live there. Um, I think of like ultra and all the people who live in the high rises around the ultra music festival. The if they leave, they fucking leave for a week. <laughs> they're like, fuck this. I think about all the trash that these people leave on the floor, you know, just tons and tons of trash. I think of, um, like all the drugs and the violence that they bring. Um, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> it's, there's nothing wrong when you do it in the privacy of your own home, but when you're doing it like in a, a publicly approved and regulated venue space, it just, and it, then, then you decide to jump on a fucking taxi and keep stomping on it. I, I that was one story, uh, from one of the smaller music festivals where apparently some kids just started jumping on taxis and just start stomping on them. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> you drugged out fucking idiots. Yeah. When I did my drugs, I sat down and I went inside my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, if you're going to do a music festival, I really don't know. Um, yeah. Oh, Jay asked, where did he go do the homeless thing in Miami? It's just in my, uh, it, um, 
like the, I don't remember what the organization was called. It was some like organization that I'm, I hadn't even really heard of before. So, I, you know, I don't know how they district, what they actually do, but it's some it's Miami a front. They're all fronts, right? <laughs> Shout out to the chat. Panda, Jay, uncle Dan joining us. I know art's having a nice little dinner, but he'll check us out later. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like could, could you imagine something like the ultra music festival happening indoors? You, you've got, you got the Miami beach convention center. The thing is huge. It could easily fit tens of thousands of people in it. What about the, the stadium, the, um, the baseball stadium? Well, I don't know about the st- Yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, Cause you'd have to have them all on the floor. Right. And they would just totally wreck the, the, the green. They would wreck the whole green. I don't like the drugs with the drugs like me. <laughs> I love that song. I'm a pretty big Marilyn Manson fan. I mean, I haven't listened to much of him lately, but that guy pumped out a lot of good music. Um, so my, my fourth headline, now this one is a continuation of a story that we've been covering for several weeks now. It's very relevant to not much of anyone actually, but you're pulling these from the Miami Herald, right? Um, Oh crap. Let me see. So far they've all been from the Miami Herald, but this one is from the Biscayne times. So is this like a plug for the Miami Herald? Are you getting paid? No, oh, fuck. no, definitely not. Um, no, but you know, I consume, like I consume the Miami Herald. I consume the real deal Miami, uh, uh the big bubble Miami. Um, it's like, there's like a couple other ones I can't remember. There's that one bot you put into discord. I look at whatever it posts. Well, I, that's me, right? So like I'm going through a bunch of different sources and I'm picking the articles I think are the most interesting. And I, I usually don't even include them in the show. <laughs> uh, I pull out the ones that I don't know. I just, I just feel like talking about. Um, okay. So banking on FTX, a bankrupt idea from the start. <laughs> okay. So this is an interesting um, headline, very critical of the county's decision to accept the proposal by FTX to, um, <laughs> uh, it was $130 million for, I think it was 19 years. They're calling you a party pooper, by the way. Yeah. I'm always a party pooper. That's okay. Um, and then, so the qu- this is a quote from the article, the envisioned FTX windfall was supposed to fund the county's Peace and Prosperity Plan, one of Mayor Danielle Levine Cava's pivotal initiatives intended to reduce gun violence, among other important goals. Whoopsies. Right? So, so like, not only were we expecting to get a bunch of money out of it, but the money was going to help reduce gun violence. And so now, because FTX has gone bankrupt, Miami can expect an increase in gun violence in the next year. Thank you, Sam Bankman-Fried. You have killed our children. Um, <laughs> also from the article, and this is something that, um, well, this is from a Miami Herald article about the same subject. It's, uh, what was it? Okay. Hardships from Miami Heat Arena deal. County asks, oh no, I think it's county asks judge to help. This is by Doug, Douglas Hanks. And the quote from the article, this is not a quote. This is just the point of the article. So, they were expecting to get another payment in January. That was when FTX is supposed to pay them because January hasn't happened yet. And the, um, like, I think it was on November 5th or November 11th when they, when the last time, like a, 
a, you know, a bankruptcy court was hearing this, they did a stay, a stay order, basically saying that freezing all of the assets. And so the idea is that Miami-Dade doesn't have like a contractual right to cancel the contract until they've missed a payment. But because they haven't missed a payment yet, Miami-Dade would be doing something in breach of the contract and um, damaging to FTX, which could be a suable offense, right? Like they, so the idea is that they're going to ask a judge. I think the court date is December 5th or something like that. It's coming up in the next couple of weeks. They're going to ask the judge, can you please let us negotiate a new deal? And so that's the state of the XTX. And that's where, that's where Dunkin' Donuts comes in, right? Or, you know, I did look it up. Bang Bros has a 10, (laughs) I think it was a $10 million proposal or a $2 million proposal. It was crap. It was a really shitty proposal, but they do have one out there. And and it's like, apparently it's been out for a while. Well, they're trying to swoop in and (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hanging fruit. if, If you're interested in it, like, I mean, you can find an article that will show, show you some of the various like silly, silly name proposals that people have made. Panda, I spent too much money on audio gear. (laughs) Oh man, audio gear. I need a new microphone. Does my mic sound okay? (laughs) Cause you know, cause chimp over here has like this fancy ass microphone. I love my microphone. And I got like this much less fancy. Because you mentioned the microphone. I have to talk about it. It's this huge microphone, like a hand and a half um, made in Ohio back in the nineties. Uh, CAD Conu- Conuit Audio Devices. Oh, that's, that's the name of the city in Ohio. Cool. It's a sweet ass microphone, but it's really cool because it actually has a nine volt battery on the inside. So the way it's designed is um, it's getting power from from the XLR cable. It's um, phantom power, but the battery is there just in case there is a high input of of sound of SPLs. So then if, if, if the mic needs extra power to like, to, to handle the, those higher, um, that higher input and not distort that battery is there. It's just really interesting design. I don't know, but I love it so far. Well, if you see another one on sale, you go ahead and get me one, you bastard. Show me the sats. I always show you the sats. Do I ever not show you the sats? Show me the sats. <laughs> All right. So well, the issue with that is that I got rid of PayPal before the whole debacle, Uh huh. but I'm sticking to my no PayPal. I mean, I still got PayPal. I know. So I got to, but it means I, that's a second thing. I have to reach out to you. Hey, pay <sighs> this guy. And then I have to, oh God. I, I, I feel you, man. I feel you, but you're my friend. <laughs> I mean, I understand you don't have to get me the same microphone though, because I, you know, we don't want to sound the same. So that's, that's a valid point. Just find me some other cool that ass mic microphone. For from you. The Why 90s. don't you like that microphone? I want, I want a mic that's better for me. What does that mean? I just, I want more. Just, just give me more. Just get an SMB seven, seven B. All right. So former Miami city manager testifies the city was targeting certain little Havana businesses by Daniel Rivero. This is the Miami Herald. So, um, should I give context about this? No, let me, let me read the quote from the article first. We got 10 minutes. So that's all right. (laughs) That's much more than enough time. New transcript was released as part of lawsuit winding its way through federal courts, alleging that the city of Miami quote, deployed a deliberate policy, end quote, of harassing and shutting down a group of bars and restaurants in Little Havana with which Joe Carollo had a political feud. 
So one of them was called the ball and chain. Yeah, yeah, I know that one. And so this guy, Joe Carroyo, Joe Carajo, what a piece of shit. I'm sorry. This is like a horribly corrupt human being who's been in politics for way too long. Just, you know, dragging his filth wherever he goes. He decided he want he didn't like the owner of this restaurant who I guess was becoming politically active or something. I don't remember the context, but he sends code enforcement to close this guy's bar down. And he's like, you go over there and I don't care what it takes. You shut this bar down. There's a lawsuit from the restaurants that this happened to, and it's been taking years and years for these trials to get anywhere because of the fact that, you know, the city of Miami is being forced because this asshole is a commissioner is being forced to represent him. So like we, I'm not in the city of Miami actually. So thank God, because I'd have to pay for this. The people who live in the city of Miami have to pay for this corrupt guy and the city's lawyers to protect him. This is horrible. So to continue as a quote from the article, city of Miami attorneys sought to keep sworn testimony from former city manager, Emilio Gonzalez confidential in an order entered this week, U S district court judge U S U S district court judge Lizette Reed ruled that the testimony cannot be kept secret. The alleged targeting and the resulting business closures resulted in the loss of $27.91 million in profits for the businesses. The suit alleges, I don't know if I believe that number, but if it's, if even a fraction of that is true, the fact that this guy was able to get the city to shut down these restaurants is disgusting, horrible abuse of his power. And I hope that this case finally, I mean, this is the horrible thing, right? Because I want to to lose but if he loses that means that the city of miami has to pay millions of dollars to these businesses to make up for the corrupt politician Ugh, this is, just drives me insane don't worry we have a new festival coming all the money's gonna come in <laughs> that's miami beach different city God damn it. right and so this this reminded me and we got time so i can mention it this guy ken russell he was a city of miami commissioner and i don't know if he's resigned yet or not but the rules of Miami-Dade County or the rules of the city, some rules required that because he was running for Congress, he had to resign his his uh, um, position in the city of Miami effective when he would have moved to Congress. So, you know, even though the election was in November, he had to resign for January whether he won or not. So, so he had already tendered his resignation. The guy lost in the primary. So this guy, uh, Ken Russell, and his last meeting on the city commission was going to be December something. And Joe Carroyo, horrible human being, and Alex Diaz de la Portilla, another horrible human being, these guys were able to convince the chair of the of the, the Miami Beach, the Miami uh, city council. I don't remember what her name is, but they were able to convince her to agree with them to cancel the December meeting. So Ken Russell wasn't able to have his last meeting. And the guy, when they were, when they were doing it, he's like, I'm going to quit right now. I'm going to tender my resignation right now. I can't believe you guys would do this to me. And man, like what a hissy fit this guy through and everyone, me included was just like, you're a fucking amateur and you've done nothing but like grandstand and photo op since you got into office. You didn't 
do your job properly. And you ran for two different seats while you were, while you were serving as a city commissioner. So whatever, uh, the guy, Ken Russell, good riddance. Um, I'm sure you're not a bad person, but you were a horrible politician. You were horrible for the city of Miami and you're probably going to be horrible for, for the private sector that you're going to go work in right now, but that's not my problem. And that's certainly not the problem of the people of the city of Miami, unless you become a lobbyist. <laughs> oh man. So I read an interesting article. That's so depressing. <laughs> I know it's so <laughs> depressing. Um, I read an interesting article about email mm. and um, God, what was the article even called? It was called after self-hosting my email for 23 years, I have thrown in the towel. The oligopoly has won. Oh, right. So it's mostly a depressing article, but there was a few things that he put in here that I wanted to highlight. And it's, it is depressing quote. What are we left with? You cannot set up a home email server. You cannot set it up on a VPS. You cannot set it up on your own data center. The era of distributed independent email servers is over. And then later in the article, he says, hell banning everybody except for other big email providers is lazy and conveniently dishonest. It uses spam as a scapegoat to nerf deliverability and stifle competition. This concept may sound familiar to you. It's called a racket. And so we had talked about this earlier with, with NIST, right? And the ingredients list. So another example of a racket. So, you know, the email used to be such that anyone who, who ran a server could host their own email service. And if you had, you know, if you had a domain, like I've got um, Bitcoin-brunch.com. And if I wanted to, or SaturdayNightLit.com is probably more appropriate, right? Jesus Christ. Um, You know, so if I had my own home server, then I could have hosted my own email. So I could have done like Captain Brunch at SaturdayNightLit.com. But what this guy is basically lamenting and saying that the battle is over, like the war is lost. He's saying that you can't do that anymore, that, that that's done with. And so the reason I wanted to highlight this is because one of the reasons I am so passionate about Bitcoin and the movement around Bitcoin, I believe that projects like, like Noster that I mentioned earlier and other kind of de- projects that are, that are done with the free open source software ethos with the decentralized distributed ethos. I think these things are going to replace email and other services that we rely on today um, for the people who are willing to put in the little bit of work necessary to make use of these things. Unfortunately, a lot of these technologies do have a learning curve and the UI does not make it intuitive for the newcomer. And this is something that I'm going to have to deal with as a transition to Linux, right? I mean, a lot of things are going to be pretty straightforward and simple, but some things are going to be extremely complicated for no other reason than the fact that something was designed originally for Windows and Apple, and I'm trying to run it on Linux. <laughs> um, Thankfully, you'll have the online community. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, thankfully, I've got, I've got the internet in 2022, and I've got friends who are a little bit technically capable. Um, I think for the most part, it should be fine. I, I, 
all I'm going to do with my desktop is play steam games and, and surf the internet, like exactly what I do today. I just want to do it on an operating system. That's not going to get depreciated in a month. That's, you know, that's the whole reason why I'm switching to Linux. Really. It's not because, Oh, you're worried about the transition to windows 11. Go. Oh, Cause you used to have windows eight. Yes. Jesus it's windows 8.1 and they're not oh letting me God. switch to windows 11. And I don't think the hardware could even run windows 11. Probably. I'm not sure. I don't know. All I know is that my computer constantly says, oh, so you want to try out Windows 11? It's free. <laughs> you, wanna, you want some crack? It's free. Well, I, you know, <laughs> no. I do have like, Fuck so you. one of my two Microsoft Surface computers, because I got an old one and I have a newer one. The old one, I feel like maybe I could upgrade it to Windows 11. It is on Windows 10. But then I don't know if it's a good idea or not. I haven't decided yet. It's, uh, you know, that's another, it's one of those like long-term transition questions. Uh, you could still, um, cause I know, cause I have Proton Mail and I link it with my AudioGhost.Miami. So, um, it's some DNS forwarding thing. I don't know. It, it walked me through the steps. Even technically uninclined me was able to do it. <laughs> so that's how I have chimp at AudioGhost.Miami. And that's pretty much it. But yeah, it sucks. Can't host your own shit. Well, I'm going to host what I can as soon as I get that Embassy Pro. I'm really looking forward to it. And um, and as I've mentioned so many times, I'm glad that we're still in this time period in which I'll be able to talk to the developers and to the people who work with and for Start9 to get advice and help directly from them. And we'll have the Saturday Night Lit lightning node we will that oh, absolutely yeah. <laughs> i cannot wait for that man like you know oh, i'm so excited all you know to have all the wallets and all this stuff like pointing directly at my own node open your channels with us boys and oh. girls and humans and everyone else <laughs> they all, all the they thems you're, you're invited to <laughs> oh man that? this is uh saturday night lit thank you so much for joining us I hope you've enjoyed the time you've spent with us. But now it's time. See y'all next week. Goodbye. Peace.